James was the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, a leader in the church in Jerusalem, and he writes this epistle to Christians who were spread abroad. He tells us in the first verse of the first chapter of James. You will recall that this follower of the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that we are to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. James tells us this because according to him, writing by revelation, the trials produce endurance and endurance mature character. When God sends us trials, it is not because he desires to make our lives miserable, but that we might grow in spiritual graces. I know that sometimes it is hard to believe, but it is true. James says, in our, in, in our text, it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance. But let endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, perfect and complete, mature and complete, lacking nothing. And so he says we are to rejoice in our trials. And then James knows that this is a difficult thing to do, to rejoice in trials. So he tells us that it is necessary when we pass through trials that we receive wisdom from God. And the Sophia that James is concerned about this wisdom from God is not, first of all, as I have mentioned before, chiefly intellectual. The Bible doesn't have a problem with intellectual wisdom. But biblical wisdom, especially as you read this chapter and this book, in light of the Old Testament wisdom books, the wisdom that we are to seek from God indeed turns on and is defined as God's will for our lives. God's will or God's moral will. We are to pray for wisdom which is insight into God's moral will for our lives. And in short, it is the skill of right living. Biblical wisdom is the skill of right living. And so he says if we are to handle trials, we must pray for wisdom. But it tells us that we are to ask God for wisdom. For wisdom is not merely accumulated, not even biblical wisdom, by mere experience or by even study. Wisdom is a gift of God, so that we are to ask God. And we are to ask God because he lavishly bestows wisdom, and he does so without criticizing or resenting those who come and seek this gift. James adds that in seeking this wisdom from God, one must do so in faith. That is, when we ask God for wisdom or for any other grace or blessing, we must do so in faith. That is, a settled conviction, a firm reliance on God, a trusting that God will respond and answer what we have asked of him. We should ask, he says, without doubting, because a double-minded person, a two-souled person, will never receive anything from the Lord. 
And when we come to God and ask for wisdom to bear with our trials, we need to pray in faith and expect that God will respond. Now we come to the third section of this passage. That is in verses 9 to 11. A passage which emphasizes and speaks to the question of poverty or wealth. Here we need wisdom not merely to respond and to deal appropriately with suffering or trials, but we need wisdom to, do, to deal with poverty, with little, or with much in life. And so James gives instructions then to the rich and, of course, to the poor. First of all, he says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. This, first of all, addresses Christians who experience limited or have limited material possessions. James says that these Christians who have little possessions must glory in their exaltation or glory in their spiritual wealth. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. The term lowly, tapinus, means someone who is of a low social status. Somebody with limited resources in life, physical, material resources in life. Poverty. A poor person. We heard a story some time ago of a teacher in a, in a school where there were many rich uh, students who came from many rich, from, from rich backgrounds, rich families. And so she wanted these children who themselves have never experienced poverty but always lived in wealth. She wanted them to, to consider, to put themselves in the place of the poor. And so she asked them to write an essay, a short essay, on poverty, on a poor family. One little girl, Bright Spark, began to write. She began once there was a very poor family. The father was poor. The mother was poor. The children were poor. And then she just began to warm up. The butler was poor. The chauffeur was poor. The maids were poor. And the gardeners were poor. Clearly, she had no idea of what a poor family was like. Now, you and I, at least conceptually, know more than this little girl. We understand conceptually what poverty is. But most of us can never, do not really identify with the levels of poverty that people in the first century experienced. A society where there was no social network or social net to catch them didn't have the medical advances that we have and welfare and so on, where very often the ordinary man will stand on the street waiting for somebody to pick him up so that he might get one day's work, which would only be able to buy him one day worth of food. A denarius was all he would earn. It seems that when the time, by the time that James had written, there were believers who had even lost their possessions because of persecution. And James writes to these, he says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. They belong to the have-nots in society. They had little material wealth. 
Now James writes to these because he knows that the lack of material goods creates certain pressures. One of the things that a lack of material goods, what it would often do, it often leads people to inordinate desire for material possession. When people don't have things, they normally desire material possessions. They dream about wealth. They fantasize about living in castles and in wealthy places and driving spectacular cars and taking exotic vacations. One of the reasons why Paul, in speaking to Timothy, tells him, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But not only does the lack of goods produce this inordinate hunger and obsession with more, it can often lead to resentment and displeasure with God. And so James says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. This command, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, comes at the front of the verse. It appears first in the verse, that is in verse 9. And it is placed there for emphasis. Let him glory in his exaltation. This is the characteristic attitude that those without material goods are to have before God. They are to glory. They are to boast. This, re- this refers to this loud, exultant cry. Now, the boasting of which James speaks is not that kind of chest-pumping pride and boasting. This crowing that comes from from self-inflation and self-importance. No, this boasting is a spiritual boasting, something akin to what Paul talks about when he tells believers, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. There is a legitimate boasting. If the object of our boasting is in Christ, and James addressing Christians, he says, let the humble or the lowly or the impoverished brother boast or glory in his exaltation. So that even a Christian who does not enjoy the luxuries, the bells and the whistles in life, who does not circulate in the upper echelons of society, that person, though he may be socially low and have very little, may boast in his high position. He may boast literally in his height, James says. Now this term, hypsos, height, occurs in the Old Testament, and it could refer to mountains. But it is often used, height or exaltation, it is often used in reference to the heavenly realm. It's a term, height or exaltation, as we have it here in the King James, in New King James, occurs six times in the New Testament. And in most of these instances, it refers to the heavenly realm. It describes the heavenly realm to which Christ ascended. And so we read, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, that's the same term, high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. 
in Ephesians 4 verse 8. It is also this term high or exaltation. It refers to the realm from which the spirit descends. So Jesus could say, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in Jerusalem or in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So high refers to the heavenly realm where Jesus Christ ascended and from where the Spirit descended upon God's people. What James wants the poor to do is to recognize that they possess considerable spiritual riches. If you turn to chapter 2 of James, in a context where James is speaking about the partiality of some to the rich, James would say, for instance, in chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? There is a sense in which it appears paradoxical that one may be low and at the same time the person is high. He may be poor, at the same time he's rich. But there are many who are, who are poor materially, but are rich spiritually. Here in chapter 2 verse 5 of James, they are rich in grace, they are rich in faith. God has chosen those, he says, out of the world that they may be rich in faith and ears of the kingdom which God has promised. And so, James is saying to the poor, those who are materially poor, that they are to glory in their height, glory in their exaltation, because they have been exalted. They have been elevated. They have received heavenly citizenship. They are a member of heaven where Jesus Christ himself has ascended. We read, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that we may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. There's a sense in which the, the poorest Christian is amongst the richest in the universe. Because he is a citizen of heaven. His home is where Jesus Christ dwells. And so James addresses Christians with little and says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Let him glory in his spiritual wealth. Let him glory in his spiritual exalted status as, children, as a child of God, as a citizen of heaven, and as a future inheritor of glory. So he addresses the poor. Poor believers. But not only must Christians with little resources glory in their spiritual wealth, he tells the rich, that is rich believers, some take this to mean they're just the rich in the world, but I think that on the basis of verse 9, that it refers to rich Christians. But it says, but the rich in his humiliation. So that not only are poor Christians to rejoice in their spiritual wealth, but Christians who possess considerable possessions, 
should boast in their spiritual wealth. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. James now turn to, turns now to, to address the rich. And he will return to the subject of wealth in chapter 2, 1 to 13. Of course, we have said he warns against showing partiality to the rich and the rich will abuse the poor. He will talk about the judgment that God will visit upon the, the rich in chapter 5, 1 to 5. Let the rich boast in his humiliation. Now, when we take a verse like that, many of us would look at this and we say, well, this does not apply to us. You certainly are not rich. Nobody would ever consider us to be rich. Now, it depends on the perspective that you have. If you compare yourself with people like Bill Gates, then surely every one of us, or most of us here, would be seen as poor. But if you compare yourself with people in the third world, people who are starving in Ethiopia, you will realize that you belong to a very small percentage of this world's population. We may choose what meal we want to eat. Years ago, I was in Ethiopia. I was amazed that the very same meal that they were serving for breakfast, they served at lunch and at dinner. And it wasn't very nutritious. We don't have that problem. Every day, seven days a week, this may same meal in the morning, lunch and dinner. We may pick and choose what we want to wear. Some of our ladies have more shoes than they can hardly count. What I'm saying to you there, friends, when the Bible talks about wealth, we cannot, at least in a country like this, exclude ourselves from amongst those who have been amply provided for. Now, James says that the rich must glory in their humiliation. The term humiliation, tapeniosis, occurs in the Old Testament to describe the lowly of spirit. So, for instance, the psalmist could say, the Lord remembered us in our lowest state, for his mercy endures forever. This is the same term, tapeniosis, that Mary used in praising God, where she could say, for he has regarded the lowest state of his, of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Humiliation then refers to the psalmist who is low in spirit, who is humble in spirit, unto Mary. But this term, humiliation, is the term that best describes the Lord Jesus Christ, the servant of the Lord. You see the term used of him in the Old Testament. And for instance, in the passage there where we read, in Isaiah 53 verse 8, by oppression and judgment, but really it is literally by humiliation and judgment he was taken away, and as, and as for his generation who considered he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. It is used of Jesus in the New Testament 
where he could say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, and here it is, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, in Matthew chapter 11, 29 to 30. The same idea appears in Paul's epistle to the Philippians in chapter 2. He's talking about the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation and in his crucifixion. He says, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of sinful men or in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You see, this kind of humiliation in which those who have this world's goods are to glory is the humiliation that Jesus Christ exhibits. When he therefore calls them, the rich, those who have this world's good, to glory in their humiliation, he's essentially calling them to glory and to boast in their identification with Christ. Because it is as they resemble Christ, who is lowly of heart, who humbled himself, it is as they resemble him in character that they have then the reason and that they have true wealth in which they are to boast. You see, humility in the sight of God is considered great wealth. Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as, a, as little children, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Those who humble themselves are declared great. They resemble the Lord Jesus. They are truly wealthy in the sight of God. So James says, let the lowly brother glory in his exhortation because he is related to and connected to the Christ of glory. Let the man who has this world's possession glory in his humiliation because this is what Jesus Christ did when he came to this earth. He humbled himself. We are to glory then in our identification with Christ. Why? does he tell those who have this world's good to glory, to boast in their humiliation? Well, in verse 10, he begins to answer that. He gives the reason, beginning with because. Verse 10, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat that it withers the grass, its flower falls, its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Why must they humble themselves? Why must they boast in their humiliation? The reason James gave is because of the brevity of human life. And in order to press home the brevity of human life, he uses the illustration of the grass of the field. And here, verses 10 and 11, 
James is actually reflecting upon the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, 6 to 8, where the writer says, The voice said, Cry out. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. James is comparing human life to the flower, to the grass of the field. The flower comes up. It is beautiful and radiant. And suddenly comes a scorching wind or scorching heat. And that lovely blooming flower begins to wither and dies. We see that in the summer. We see the grass turning brown in the summer. We see wildfires out west and in California. We see the devastation of heat on nature, on agriculture. We see the impact of drought, not only here but in other places of the world. Verdant fields, radiant flowers, are sucked of all nutrient and life. They fade and they fall. And James says that the rich must glory in his humiliation because just like the flower of the field withers and dies, so he fades in his pursuits. He's planning the next investment to make, the next property to buy, but God blows upon him. And he withers and he dies. We must glory not in what we possess, but in the Lord Jesus, in our humiliation, because things are no security. Things, material possessions, are no protection from death. So he says, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. The world is full of boasting. People boast about the things that they possess, the accomplishments that they have to their names. But James reminds the poor and the rich to boast ultimately in their relationship to Christ. Whether we belong to the haves or the have-nots, we are a boast in our relationship to Christ. We often find ourselves in distressing circumstances. We are often bothered by the idea that we cannot fulfill the financial plans that we had and the ambitions that we had. We may even look at retirement and, and think it is looming and we have not the, the reserves to live the kind of lifestyles that we should have. We may look at our neighbor and see that they're able to take trips two, two times a year. They have the boat and the cottage and everything else that we don't have. But we need to know that there is a greater wealth than money. 
The poor who are in Christ are incredibly rich. And we are to rejoice and boast in our exaltation, in our high position. For even if we do not have the world's good, we have the wealth of glory. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told as it is written, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. We must know that we are incredibly blessed. We are children of God. We have been saved. We have been given saving faith in Jesus Christ. We are ears and joint heirs with Christ. We belong to a king. We belong to glory. We, we, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And, and James is saying that the lowly brother must consider the wealth that he possesses in Christ. But he also speaks to the rich. He must know that true lasting wealth is to be identified with the man of sorrow. The one who was truly humble. The one who was humbled and is now raised to the right hand of the father. And given a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every con tongue would confess that he is Lord. The rich must boast in their relationship with Christ to the man of sorrows. They must take their position at the foot of the cross. And continue in lowliness of mind. They must continue in, the, in, in knowing that what makes them truly wealthy is their relationship to Christ. Long ago, the prophet says this, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. But I am the Lord, exercising love and kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord in Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. How do we deal and live in life, whether we have little or whether we have much? We must first of all glory in Christ and the wealth that we have in him. But how does this going to happen? How does this happen? How do, we, how do we do that? Especially when... We do not have much financially. How do we do that? To do so, we need wisdom. Wisdom from God to have a true spiritual perspective regarding the things of this life. It means that we must see life in paradoxical terms. That when we are low, we are high. And when we are high, we are low. It means that we must look beyond the things that are immediately obvious to the eye and see things from God's perspective. That whether we have clothes on our backs, food in our fridges at home, or we have nothing, we have the greater treasure of heaven and of Jesus Christ. 
We must look at life from a biblical and a spiritual perspective. That our true assets are never to be measured by what we are worth financially in this world. But our true assets are to be found in Jesus. You see, ultimately, true riches are the things that are eternal. The wealthy believer must recognize that there is a vanity in life and vanity to things. We must not, the writer says, trust in oppression nor vainly hope in robbery. Power belongs to the Lord. Paul tells Timothy, he says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy, let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, ready to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. You see, we are not to trust in riches in this world. We must know that because we have money or because we have possession, that these do not guarantee our security. Wealth and riches are vain. Over the Easter weekend, one of the most daring robberies in recent history took place in London at the Hatton Garden Deposit Vault in London, one of the safest places anywhere in that part of the world. Apparently six thieves broke in, they disabled an elevator on the second floor, climbed down the shaft into the basement, and then they forced the shutters to the safe deposit vault. They were confronted then with a 50 centimeter thick reinforced concrete wall. With heavy duty drills, they cut a hole in this massively reinforced wall. And they proceeded to empty the safety deposit boxes that were behind this 50 centimeter thick wall. Many people who the day before had their savings stored there were instantaneously ruined. We can go from poverty to riches in an instant, but we can also go from riches to poverty in an instant. You see, things, the things of this world are uncertain and they pass away. But the reason why we are to look at true riches as those things that are spiritual, it is not because riches are uncertain, but primarily because our lives are uncertain. We are like the flower of the field. We pass away. It is one of the reasons why this psalm has resonated with me. In Psalm 39, the psalmist says, Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days, that I might know how afraid I am.
What is he praying? He's actually saying to God, Lord, grant me a view of the brevity of my life. Help me to see that the span of my life is limited. And he goes on in the psalm to say that our lives are like a handbreadth. This long. My age is as nothing before you. He says, and this is, this is very good. Certainly, every man at his best is but vanity. Even in the height of our strength, even when we feel the most powerful, and when we feel the most in control of life and circumstances, even at our very best intellectually and physically and financially, we are vanity. We fade away because the breath of the Lord takes us away. What does it mean? It means that we are not to boast or to glory in any material things because they are passing away and we are also passing away. It means furthermore, that wherever you are in this life, you must seek to be content with what you have. If it is the will of God that you should never become rich in the eyes of the world, then you must trust yourself to the riches that you have in Jesus. That you must realize that after this, the best part is yet to come. Uh, that Christ is storing up for you in glory that which you cannot imagine in this life. You live in the hope that this is not our home, that there is more to come, that there is better to come in Christ. And if God has given you more than the average person, ask him to humble you, to live in gratitude for what he has given you, and to use what he has given you to bless others and so glorify your heavenly Father. May God grant us that whether we be truly financially and economically poor or whether we truly be rich, that we count our wealth in terms of Jesus Christ and live for his glory for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.